When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard Fixed Indemnity Insurance Plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hello, dear listener, and welcome back to Owning the Anxiety Podcast with me, Caroline Foran. Now, if you ever made a change in your career or job, or maybe you've been toying with the idea of a change, or you've made one and you're thinking, oh my God, did I make the right choice? You'll be familiar with the anxiety that goes along with having to make big decisions in your work life. I am joined by Rachel Schofield. She is a former BBC journalist and presenter. She's incredible. She's so accomplished. She is now a fully qualified personal development coach, specializing in career change and career coaching. And her book, The Career Change Guide, is such a brilliant read. It's to help you figure out what you want to do career-wise and how to go about making that change with five very simple steps. Here she talks me through what those steps are as well as answering your questions relating to career change anxiety. I got a lot from this episode and I hope you will too. If you're thinking about making a change you will come out of this knowing what to do one way or another. Rachel, thank you so much for agreeing to be a guest on Owning It, the Anxiety podcast. I'm so happy to have you. This is such a necessary topic to discuss and you are the woman for the job. Thank you for being here. Hey, it's a pleasure. Thanks for having me. You have written an incredible book. It's going to be so helpful for so many people, The Career Change Guide. So we're going to chat here about career change anxiety. I think, I mean, change in general is such an anxiety inducing thing for people. It's the irony, I think, of the human condition is that we're so afraid of change, yet we're constantly looking for change as well. Like it's this sort of paradox and career and work is where I think we we come up against the most significant amount of, of fear of change. Um, so I guess let's just start there. I mean, would you mind just telling my listeners a little bit about yourself and how you came to be this expert in career change? And then we'll go on to the actual nitty gritty. So by profession, I was originally a journalist. So I spent 20 years at the BBC here in London, where I'm based. Well, started actually in the northeast in Newcastle, did that route of starting in local radio, local news and kind of working my way up through reporting at Radio 4. And then spent the last, what, 15 years or so as a news presenter on the BBC News Channel here in London. Um, Did that through full time, part time when I had two kids. I've got two girls who are now teenagers went freelance because I was thinking "Hmm, maybe a bit more freedom. So I kind of went through all those interpretations of work and then did what a lot of people do as your kids get bigger, maybe, or you, you hit a big birthday, like you turn 30, you turn 40 and you sort of take stock and you think, is this what I still want? And I got to that point. And as again, with lots of people, it had been lingering for a long time. I think the career change space is one that people sit in for a long time before they do anything because they have that niggle of like, hmm, do I want to do this for the next 20 years? Are there things that I don't like? You know, I'm not loving it, but do I like it enough? Or, you know, I've got 30 more years of work. Is this the moment to think about that other idea I have? So I absolutely went through that. 
and thought, I enjoy it. There's bits of my work that I really like. I worked for the BBC. You know, we were talking about fear. You think, well, who wouldn't want to do that? It's a brilliant organisation. It was kind of a lovely cloak that I wore of, I work for the BBC, that feels safe and people understand that and it means something. But I knew deep down that I wanted to do something a bit different. So I had to do that exact process of sort of thinking, okay, what does different look like? What could I do with the skills that I have? What am I enjoying? What do I want to do more of? What is making this job less enjoyable? I want to get rid of. How can I sort of take everything that I am and bundle it up in a different way? And for me, that journey took me through a period of experimentation. It led me to coaching because a lot of the skill set is the same. In fact, actually, it's all around asking questions. It's around analyzing. It's around getting interested in people's stories, helping them reshape those. So there was a lot of overlap. And and I experimented. I did a course. I trained. I added to my expertise and ended up yeah, working in the coaching space. And then again, got more and more specific and work now in career coaching, career development and specifically career change. What's really interesting from what you say there is I think we can fall into the trap of thinking that if we want a change, that must mean we're in the wrong thing or we've done the wrong thing. But it sounds like you just naturally evolved because for so long, what you were doing was right for you and was floating your boat and was ticking boxes. And then I guess as we evolve ourselves, like our needs and our desires change, our priorities change. So it's not that you were in the wrong situation. And I think that it's important not to think black and white about that. Obviously, there are scenarios where you're like, okay, this is not right for me. But I I mean, how many careers do you think people can have in a lifetime? We don't have to think of it as this one block. Yeah, and I think that's where historically things have meant meant that people feel a bit trapped because there's this pressure at kind of 16 or 18 to make a decision about what you're going to study and then get on a sort of ladder so that you're like, I'm in this this lane that I need to stay in. I've made a decision. I can't deviate because that will look like I got it wrong. That will look like I failed. That will look like I'm not respected or good at what I do. Actually, I think what we're seeing now, particularly among people coming through school and university now, people in their 20s, is a realization that we're in this for a long time. And as you say, you change, you know, you become a parent or you get divorced or you decide to move overseas or you um, you realize you can't retire at 60, you need to keep going till you're 75 or whatever it is. So realizing that you can actually let your career flex with you and you can tweak it because not all career changes are massive we sort of think of the kind of accountant to zookeeper (laughs) daily mail headline type career change but actually just having a constant awareness almost just checking in with yourself whether that's every few years whether that's at moments of change in your life and thinking let me just check in who I am these days let me think about what I'm enjoying about my work what I'm not enjoying how significant that is sometimes it's a few tweaks a slight kind of pivot or shift and you think yeah actually that's evolving with me other times people realize there's not enough here for me and I do want to consider something bigger and more radical and actually because we're all living longer and retiring later there is potentially time to do that and I think with less of the perhaps stigma that people fear comes with it you you brilliantly mentioned that thing of feeling like oh I got it wrong and that can stop people because they think I'm going to be judged. People will think I'm sort of flaky or I'm indecisive. Why was I an accountant and now I want to be a graphic designer? That suggests I can't stick with something or I don't really know who I am. But actually, all it suggests is I'm, I'm listening to myself. I'm growing. I'm investigating all aspects of who I am and my personality and what I need to be fulfilled. So trying to look at it that way, and allowing yourself to to think, I'm going to keep growing. I've got a long life. So let's kind of dig into it. We used to use the word job. You know, you just go to work, you clock in, you make your money, you pay your bills so that you, you would work to live. And now a lot of us live to work or we really want to make sure that that's in sync with our values and how we live. Do you think, I mean, there's so many jobs in the world that are transactional, that are just you know, they're not going to be joyful. They're not going to give you meaning. Are we experiencing more anxiety around career? Because are we expecting too much? Are we, do we have these expectations that we have to derive so much value and meaning? Like I, I'm so lucky that I do, but I know that someone still has to do the jobs, you know, picking up the bins. And is it a matter of finding value and meaning in 
what it is you're doing or is it like because not everyone's going to be able to find that right yeah do you know I think that's you you make a really great point and I invite people to play with this idea of passion because we have you're right we have developed and there's a narrative developing the kind of find a job you love and you'll never work a day in your life or follow your passion and let your dreams take work take flight and I am slightly hesitant I think it's really personal and and I do think we do people a disservice if we set out to say you know there is a job there out there which will be completely connected to your passion which every day you'll be skipping into work just like you know with your angel wings thinking I love this and you're right some people have that but I think for most of us work is a mixture but what you're aiming for then is to think you know what is it that I want how do I want my work to fit into that? And for some people, it's really important that that their work is a big part of their life and that they feel really aligned to what they're doing. They feel it has purpose and impact and they want to be in that sort of passion space. But for other people, work is a way to fund the fun. You know, some people say, actually, I'm more than happy to do a work that pays me a certain amount, um, but that gives me this amount of free time, for example, because I actually love surfing. And I don't think that I need to make surfing my career. I don't have to follow my passion and bring my passion into work. I actually am very happy being a lawyer or I'm very happy working in HR because that is is interesting enough. I've got lovely colleagues. I find it fun, but it also gives me the right salary and the right time to go off and do my brilliant surfing and wild camping every, every few weeks or whatever it is. So I think it's personal. I think feeling the tyranny of like the job has to be perfect may not be right for everybody. But definitely getting curious for yourself about what you want from work and what success looks for looks like for you, how you would define that is interesting. And resisting the pressure to sort of take on what other people are doing is important because that can lead to anxiety of like, oh, you know, everybody, particularly with social media, any of the sort of like, this is my fabulous job and look how fun it is all the time. It's not it's not the reality for everybody. Well, that's a trap I fell into where, you know, when I was younger and I. I went into and actually that was the beginning of the really crippling anxiety that led me on this journey I was thought that I should be pushing myself and if I was if I was too comfortable I wasn't developing I wasn't you know progressing and I should be feeling you know all this quotes about like you should be doing something every day that scares you and I had this fear that I had to keep proving myself and I ended up pushing myself too far into a job that just on so many levels even though it, it sounded brilliant and it my gut deep down knew Mm, there's a couple of red flags here and immediately my body was like no what have we done and I through that experience which was so hard like I have learned how I define success now is like priority my my number one priority is my mental health and my well-being but I mean I, I don't want people to have to go through that to to realize that but I guess I want to ask you is you know we can we can think about the dream job and what that looks like and the work but actually are we better to think about the context of the work? Like for me, okay, yes, I might love this job. I might love this work, but do, but do I want to work a 70-hour week? No, because that will compromise my well-being. So what do we need to consider when we're dreaming up the ideal situation? You know, because the the type of work is one thing, but this, the lifestyle for me, the how I want to live and spend my time and my days comes first. And then I almost find work that aligns with that. Do you know, I think you've hit on something which I pick up in my book. So in the Career Change Guide, it's it's five steps, I call it, to finding your dream job. And it's up to you how you define dream job. But but in that early stage, I really invite people to play with the pieces of the puzzle. And the pieces fit together differently for everybody. But I think considering the pieces is the important first step. So what I get people to do when I work with them is to look at four things. And to play around with them, a bit like a recipe. So for some people, they'll have more of one thing than another. You know, the quantities are different, but the elements are the same. So if I just tell you how I like to work with people, one of the things I do is look at their values. And I think this is really what you were saying. So when you think about what you want from work, what are your values? And it can be really different. So for some people, work is absolutely about status and recognition. For other people, it's about impact and purpose for some people it's about fun and adventure for some people it's about balance and contribution so all these kind of words thinking about what do I want from my work and being honest about that because 
what we often do with our work values is we've taken them on from other people, whether that's our parents yeah. who've said, you know, work is this and this is why we work and it's important you have, um, you know, this kind of a job. Or you may have taken them on from the school that you were at, gave you a particular sort of narrative about what, what good work looked like. Or you may have taken it on from a particular work environment that you started off in. And now you're thinking, I don't think that these people come to work for the same reason I do. So looking at your work values, and I, I put exercises in my book to help people do that. Another piece of the puzzle or the recipe, because it, it's different, is around your strengths and your skills. What you're really good at, but particularly what you enjoy doing. So, you know, which are the tasks day to day when you look at your current work that that really light you up, that you think, oh, if I had to spend my whole day on one thing, it would be this and I would ditch that and that. And sometimes that's the stuff that's not the the glamorous, you know, the stuff it's not those um obvious metrics of success. Sometimes, I mean, I find myself even like when I'm do, going through my my statements, doing my taxes, and I get into that state of flow. I'm like, God, I actually really like this, and it's not something you would aspire to maybe or pursue, but like, like you're so right. Like tapping into like when do I feel at ease in my day about what I'm doing, and it can be just for you. It doesn't have to be what looks good to everyone else. Yeah, and I think that's a hard thing to let go of. And think it's for me to define. And we do worry, well, well, that doesn't look very impressive that I actually, you know, like doing this thing that other people think is boring. But the point is, you like doing it. So how can you find ways to do more of that in your work? And similarly, the other pieces of the recipe for me, for people to consider how they want to use them, are exactly, as you said, the kind of work environment, how you want to work whether you're happy to do kind of intensive long days, whether that some people, they, they get a buzz from that. They want to be in a bustling office where it's competitive and it's high stakes. But other people, they want to be hybrid. They want to be able to shape their day uh, in a way that works around other things that are important for them around their kind of exercise or their health or their family. So how you want to work. And then that that piece of the puzzle, which is around your interests. So thinking for me, and this takes us back to that passion space that you were talking about. For me personally, is it important that my interests, whether that's, you know, shabby chic or sustainability or psychotherapy or furniture, you know, is it important to me that those things that I'm excited, interested in show up in my work or not? Are they, am I happy to keep those in a hobby space in my leisure time? Or would it really make a difference to my work if I could be working at an organization or in a sector or for a cause that I feel particularly interested and passionate about? And, and it's personal. So allow yourself to, to let go of all the expectations of what everybody else is doing and think, you know, what's important to me? What do I enjoy? What am I interested in? What do you think is worse? The anxiety of knowing that you're in something that you shouldn't be or the fear of taking the leap into something else? Oh, what a great question. Anxiety is usually so wrapped up in anticipation. Um, so that's usually like something that's future oriented, which I guess would be the the unknown and the job you might go to and the feeling of of anxiety of being in the wrong thing is like the feeling of being stuck and not seeing a way out which can be all consuming I mean I guess they're, they're, that's probably this is probably the the problem people come up against is like do I swallow the fear that I that I have now knowing this knowing the better the devil you know or do I take the leap like it's this is this is the roadblock it is. And, and it's that thing of, is this good enough where I am? Do I not, do I hate it enough to leave? And that's an awful question to be asking yourself, but people do get stuck there. Is the grass really greener? And I think the difference, there are two things I would say on that space. The first is inviting yourself to see what's in your control. So if you are in a spot where you really don't like your work, then of course that probably is unsustainable in the long term if it if it's really at the point where it's making you unhappy or or feeling unhealthy and unwell so then it's thinking what are the some of the steps that i could take to address that and it does i think people you talked earlier about that kind of black and white all or nothing thinking and people can sometimes think oh my gosh i either leave or i stay you know i either stick it out or do something totally different. And it, it needn't always be that binary. Sometimes it's it's thinking, what is the smallest thing I could do to address some of the things that are problematic for me now? Are there things in my control? Is there a conversation I can have with my manager? Is there a different department I could get a secondment into? 
Is there another organization very similar to this one that I could look at jobs in, but that has a slightly different culture? So thinking about what changes you could make. You're right that when you're thinking about the bigger career change, people often get stuck because they're dealing with uncertainty. And there we are with that word again. With my book, what I say to people and what I show people how to do is you deal with uncertainty, not by sitting at home thinking about it. You cannot think your way into a career change because you go around in circles. Some days you're like, oh, that could be good. And then other days you're crippled by that sense of, but I couldn't possibly, you know, your brain hits you with all the reasons why it won't work and it's utterly impossible and you're a total loser. So what's happening there is your brain is tending to fill that void, that uncertainty with a load of information and assumptions about why that job is probably not suitable for you, why that would be too difficult, why you'll definitely have to retrain, why you will have to take a pay cut, all the things that keep you stuck. So my challenge to people is always, If you're uncertain, you can't just keep thinking, you have to start doing. So you have to start investigating these career ideas in really small ways. The thing that keeps people stuck is they think that career change is one decision. They think it's one massive decision where one day they say, right, that's it. I'm making a career change. It's not it's a series of of tens, if not hundreds of small decisions. It's on that first day when you're thinking, I don't love this job. I've often thought it'd be quite nice to go and work in HR, or I've often thought I'd quite like to be a web designer, or I've often thought I'd like to open a cake shop. The first thing you do is not make a decision, right, I'm going to open a cake shop. I'm going to retrain as a graphic designer. The first decision is you say, hmm, I'm going to send an email to my friend Helen, who I know has a boyfriend who works in graphic design. I'm going to see if I can have a cup of coffee with him and just ask him about what he does. Or it's, you know, it's not right, I'm ready to go and start applying for jobs in a totally different sector. It's right, I'm going to sign up for that webinar that I saw, which is for HR managers. I'm just going to listen in or I'm going to listen to six podcasts over the next month about what it's like to work in marketing. You know, so it's, it's like taking those small steps to start to fill the gap of knowledge. It's starting to go to things, talk to people, investigate in lots of small, consistent steps, because then you have proper data to work with. And you're not in that massive, should I, shouldn't I, with no information to really inform you. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. I want to get to, in a moment, I I put it out to my Instagram followers, um, their questions around anxiety and career change. And there's so many of them. It's such a huge area of, of concern for people. But before I get to that, I do want to confront the fact that you know, 
we always say to like our friends and family, oh, like, you know, it's going to be great. So we, we're like, we pump them full of self-belief, which is necessary. But sometimes it doesn't work out. And for me, it didn't work out. And I really did suffer because of it, because I felt I put myself under so much pressure that it had to work out. So what can we do if we realize if it all goes terribly wrong and we, it turns out to be a mistake? And not like, I guess it's always a learning. I've learned always to trust my gut from then on. But sometimes I feel like with the fear of these things, you kind of have to confront the possibility of the worst case scenario and work back from there. Yeah, I think that's a really good way of looking at it because yes, you're right. It's very easy to fall into like, just go for it, you know. And 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 I think you have to first say to yourself, this might not work out. And how will I deal with that if it doesn't? Hopefully by taking those small steps and building the information, you're much better informed to think, do I really want to make this change? Is it right for me? So that's one of the reasons I get people to do that, that you don't leap before you look. You go and try things out. You go and spend a a day. You go and volunteer somewhere where you can actually live out that experience of a different career. But I think you're right, accepting and thinking, how do I approach this in a way that I leave doors open? So, you know, one of the things you do is if you're if you're making a shift is, you know, absolutely keep in touch with people from your old network. Don't kind of not that you ever, but you don't sort of metaphorically flounce out the door saying, I hate this. I shall never work in accountancy again. You know, it's saying, you know, I, I've reached a stage in my life where I'm going to go and explore something else. So, you know, I'll keep you posted on how that goes, but make sure you stay in touch with people. You keep keep those networks going. You stay interested in the world that you that you were already in so that you can experiment. And if for some reason things don't work out, then you can go back. But I think often it's not even a question of going back. It's not like what if this works doesn't work out and I have to sort of eat my hat. Generally speaking, I think even when you make a change, you're constantly learning. Even a change is not a sort of dead end. It's not like I'm now doing this thing. It's okay, I've now stepped into a new space and I'm learning some new skills, but even those open new doors. I think you often you don't know what you don't know. So it's not like you become an accountant and you're like, I don't like this. You know, accountancy has, you know, 65 different versions and places and types, you know, that I was reading some really interesting stuff about law and people who get into law and why there are a lot of unhappy lawyers. And because a lot of the corporate law space, I think people find is misaligned with their values because they feel like what I'm doing is kind of helping very rich people get richer or fight cases, which to me seems slightly dubious or whatever. I'm, I'm generalizing. Actually, if you're, I've worked with a couple of lawyers who came to me, miserable lawyers, and they felt like I've made the wrong decision. I do this work that doesn't light me up and I feel really kind of uncomfortable about and it feels meaningless. They didn't end up doing something totally different. They stayed as lawyers, but they realized that in the field of law, there's all kinds of interesting organizations. So one of them ended up working for a philanthropic organization where he's an in-house counsel And he's helping people look at law around climate change and sustainability and child poverty. So suddenly the whole thing has shifted for him. Um, Somebody else went uh, as a lawyer was thinking, I'm not sure this is right for me, but ended up working for an organization which supports people who need legal aid and need help sort of funding big law cases where they're not going to be able to find the money themselves, but are massively around social justice. So, you know, even when you've stepped into something, there are still always other doors that you can look at. So nothing is final, if that doesn't sound too trite. And if we do go into something new, um, even if it's not a change, even if it's just a different company, like it doesn't have to be a massive, drastic industry change. But say I'm working in PR in one agency and I decide or I'm done here, I'm going to go to the next one. And I get there and I'm feeling really anxious, really jittery. How do I know the difference between an anxiety that is saying, okay, maybe this is not the right place for you versus just initial settling in jitters. Because I think it's, well, for me anyway, I would have to almost prepare myself to expect a certain amount of anxiety while everything is still unfamiliar, you know, while you're finding your feet and that that's okay. But being able to know the difference, because for me, like when it, when it happened, I knew it was like, this is not just a case of like, oh, I'll, I'll be okay in a few weeks. This was like, no, get out of here. But I'm but I was so physically unwell that my body was like screaming at screaming at me about it. But I feel like for other people, they mightn't have that clarity of like and they might just say, right, I'm just going to stick it out. I'm just going to st- keep sticking it out. And then, you know, you're starting to chip away at your 
your confidence, your mental health. Yeah. How do we know the difference? Yeah, that's a really great question. I think you're right. I think expecting that any change brings with it some discomfort, some wobble in our confidence, because you're stepping into a space where there are a lot of unknowns. And particularly if you've worked somewhere else for a long time, you know, you know, everybody, you know how things are done. You know, the culture, you know, the tone, you know, who the awkward people are, you know, who your allies are. So realizing that you're you're building something fresh and that that will take time, um, that it might take several months, it might take six months. So you're not in two weeks going to be like you've never been anywhere else. It will feel odd. So I think, yes, cutting yourself some slack. And I think a lot of these things are around communication. It's it's investing time in building relationships in the new workplace and which is hard because we're often in that zone of kind of working from home and doing a lot of remote working but sort of making sure you're clear from other people and chatting to them kind of what was their experience like when they first started here how did they um, get up to speed who did they find helpful to talk to and making sure you're clear on what's expected of you I think that can be really weird when you step into a new job you sometimes think I don't really know what I'm doing yeah like can I walk out of the room or do I need to ask permission to go to the bathroom and like that for me would throw me it's like I don't I don't know where to I guess you don't know where the boundaries are Hmm. and and again some of that you 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 get from just observing and allowing yourself to think I'm going to it's going to take me a while just like when you started school or uni or anything you're you're trying to calibrate all the the social niceties and the norms and the culture and the culture is a hard it's a bit amorphous isn't it it's a bit like what's going on here why is I'm feeling this is a weird meeting (laughs) what's that all about so some of that you just have to allow your instinct to start listening and observing but I think also finding your your allies a mentor can be really helpful and asking for somebody like that when you start can be helpful and making sure you're checking in and getting feedback I think the other thing you can feel is I'm not sure I'm doing a good job but often that's not your fault it's because you know onboarding is not always great in some organizations so they do leave you not out of anything malicious but just because they're a bit rubbish they do leave you thinking so what what am I supposed to be doing this week what what how are they measuring whether I'm doing a good job you know make sure you find out have conversations and say you know what's what's going to look like a good outcome for you in my first three months, what what are some goals that I should be working towards? So that you're really clear, because again, feeling like you're falling down on the job and getting that little inner voice, which is like to kick in and say, oh, everybody thinks you're a bit rubbish, you know, which is not true. So you want some measurability, you want some clarity, what's expected? How would you like me to add value? How are we going to measure how these first three months have gone? And so on. So I think there's something there around clarity and communication. There's something there about observation and and trying to build relationships so that you've got some some material at a slightly deeper cultural level. And there's something there about cutting yourself some slack and realizing that nobody is flying by the end of week one. But as you said, you probably know your own red flags. If you start to feel that the, the culture is very wrong for you, if, if there's something toxic, if it's a very difficult relationship with your manager, if you're working crazy hours, I think it's all those things that that would immediately make you feel like I'm not sure this is right. Um, but then again, it's it's how do you address that without hitting the nuclear button and, and mm. saying game over? I also think it's really important too. It's it sounds kind of um, paradoxical, but to have the confidence to be vulnerable when you're in that flux of change and to be it you know you don't have to sit there and pretend like you have it all figured out because you don't and even the most experienced qualified skilled person will go into something new and they'll be beyond their terms of everyday reference and it'll be unfamiliar so having the confidence to say you know I'm not clear on this or like I would love if you could bring me up to speed on this or how this normally works and that shows confidence shows enthusiasm you know it shows initiative but it also helps give you the information you need to like us to solve that anxiety or to soothe that anxiety and um, I think so often we're so afraid to appear to be vulnerable in, in that situation and actually for me anyway it has helped create even better uh, connections with people which is so important in work as well like we don't have to be like a, an island on our, on our own I love that I think you're really onto something and it comes back to how we communicate the temptation and I think I'm generalizing but particularly for women is to to want to ask, but to worry that it will look silly and therefore to end up asking in a way that doesn't look confident where, where we start with that precedence of preface of, sorry, this is probably a really stupid question, but, you know, or 
sorry to be a nuisance, but I, I just need to ask this or forgive me if I'm like totally being dim, but I don't get it. You know, whereas the difference between saying, thanks, that was really helpful. What would be really great is if you could email that to me just so that I've got it, you know, I've got those four key pieces of information or could I just check so that I can make sure I'm getting this right for you that you want this, this and this and, and just all of those sort of much stronger opening. Could I just check? I would love you to clarify. Could you um, help me understand this? Um, and like you said, really, the, the phrasing can make a big difference. Oh, absolutely. OK, let's get to some of the questions. Um, so like I said, as I said, there was um, a huge amount of response in and I only just posted it this morning. The most common thing seems to be anxiety around the financial implication of a change and the, the fear of losing that security especially for people who have families and stuff so let me just and I'll cut out the kind of filler here but um and, and something that's come up again is people saying so they're in their 40s I feel that at 48 it's too late for me to change and I need a career that has real meaning that helps others and, and a lot of messaging people saying I feel I'm 41 42 I feel like it's a too late to change I'm going to say no. What are you going to say? Do you know, again, I think those are two of the really, that doesn't surprise me. Those are two really common ones. Have I left it too late? Am I too old? Um, And, you know, will I have to take a massive pay cut? Can I make it work? So let me do the pay one first. Again, I think it depends. You know, the temptation is you want to say, no, you know, you could ask. It depends what industry you're in. It depends what you want to do. And it depends what your personal financial situation is. So one of the things I invite people to do in the book, if money feels like it might be an issue, is to make sure you're not dealing in random um, assumptions. So, you know, actually sit and do a proper budget. There's There are great stuff online, Money Money Saving Expert has um, a, a kind of budgeting tool, a kind of family finance Citizens Advice Bureau have something on their website as well, where you can actually sit and think, okay, let me look at my finances. What might be possible? You know, if you're thinking I'd love to retrain, but the retraining costs this much, you know, could I finance that? And actually sometimes people just sit there thinking I couldn't, um, but let's get detailed. Let's look at the finances. You know, if I were to do, if I were to take a pay cut, you know, how long would that be sustainable for? Could I do it for a year? as long as I had a plan then after a year to be able to step up into something else. So getting really curious and getting specific is important rather than dealing with generalizations. And then thinking with the finances about other ways to do things. So, for example, you know, is it a question of I'd really like to go freelance, but I'm worried I'd initially have to take a pay cut because I might not be able to find all the clients. So, you know, is it black or white? Is it or is it? Well, could I cut my current situation down to four days a week? You know, if I sit and do the maths and I could use that Friday or Monday, whatever it is, to start to build up the freelance side of things to see if I can find some of my own clients. And yes, I could afford that if I just kind of cut it down to four days a week. So it's playing around with combinations. It's thinking, OK, I can't afford to go and do that course that's going to cost me three grand and that I need to do full time. But how else could I learn these new skills? Could I do something on a Saturday morning? Could I teach myself? Could I buddy up with someone who has those skills who could teach me? So it's often thinking creatively and not getting stuck in the first thought that comes to you. So that's finances. You talked about too old. Again, it depends. So, you know, there are some what, what if you've ever, there's a great book called um, Design Your Life by a couple of Stanford academics. Um, do go and check it out. It's really good. They describe what they call gravity problems. Some problems are in your head and you think I could get around that problem. Some problems are gravity problems. Gravity is just there and you can't get around it. It's going to take you out. So with your age, if, for example, you are 58 and you think I'd really love to join the police force. Now I think I'm right in saying that the police force, you have to retire at 60. So that's a gravity problem. There's no point you going and joining the police force because you've got two years and you're out. So clearly you're too old to do that. And, And that's just a fact. But what you need to work out is the difference between reality and fact. So sometimes you think I'm too old to make a career change. That's not a fact. That's an assumption that your brain is offering you. The only fact is whatever it says on your birth certificate. So you need to find out in the industry that I'm curious about, you know, is my age going to be a barrier? 
And how can I find that out other than me just assuming? Who could I go and talk to? How could I go along to things and see who else is working there? See what the kind of age is. Um, so it's, again, dealing with facts and not assumptions. This was interesting. How to stop the guilt for leaving other people in the lurch when I, if I was to to leave? Like, I think there's such a huge thing of, you owe them something or you know they you get on well with people and you don't want to let them down or what are they going to do and it becomes so personal um, and we forget the business element of it and I think I'm sure so many people stay in something because they're doing it to please others that's so funny I was reading I was on LinkedIn the other day and someone had just this problem where they said I stayed for ages in a job because I had a lovely boss who'd kind of brought me in and I felt like I would be letting her down if I moved on and she said I left and then within three months, the boss said, I'm so pleased because I've, I've been desperate to leave and now I've left. Um, so it is common. You know, our jobs are bound up with a lot of things around our identity and our friendships and our relationships. So it's not unusual that it feels like personal. You think, well, these people have been good to me. But I think ultimately we have to prioritize what's right for us. And, and there are ways of leaving well where you, you know, you don't have to be shutting a door in someone's face. It's making sure you do them the courtesy of giving them plenty of notice, helping, you know, if there's someone coming in behind you, helping train them up, if that's what you're asked to do, making sure you leave everything in really good order for whoever's taking over from you and and nurturing those relationships with precious colleagues who've become friends ongoing, that realizing if that's something real, that, that, that remains and you can continue to be in touch with them. You can t- continue to, um, enjoy talking about work or seeing them out of work but realizing what's important what do I need at this point and not being selfish but just thinking I'm in this for a long term you know do I want to be here for the next 10 years when actually my heart is calling me somewhere else like it's also part it should be part of the manager whoever your superior is it, it should be part of their skill set to understand to separate the personal from the fact that you know, they should, if they're fostering your growth and your everything, they, they should understand that you might have different needs or different priorities. And it doesn't have to be, be an attack on them that you decide to leave. So it's not on you to make everyone happy. It's uh, people who are in that level of management know that this comes with it, I think, as well. It's part yeah, of the time. I think you're right. And I think a good manager will have wanted to bring you on, to develop you, to, to help you grow as a professional and will realize that just as we do with our children you know they outgrow us they need to move on and actually that's a sign that we've done a really good job not a sign that we failed and that they're miserable and they want to leave it's just that they have to spread their wings and go somewhere else yeah this just comes up again and again I'm just scared of making the wrong decision I'm mid-40s with a family I cannot afford to make a mistake yeah the hat well how do I avoid making a wrong decision is really hard because again it's people trying to make a decision without enough information. So I, I, at the risk of repeating myself, I, I always say, do go and experiment. Don't think of it as a decision, first of all. Spend some time, and it might be several months, getting really curious and getting as much proper data as you can about this move you're thinking of making. So that you, and, and you cannot totally minimize the risk of getting it wrong in inverted commas, but you can absolutely feel you're making the best decision you can with really good information because you have gone out and you've had lots of conversations with people in this other place that you want to go to. You have really felt confident about what you've discovered about salary levels and how much you could expect to earn. You've talked about it with your partner. You've maybe game played the the idea of, well, maybe I don't go fully into this other space. Maybe I experiment with it for a year first. I find a way to just uh, do a day a week or whatever it is. So I think it's all around mitigating that sense of one day you're doing one thing and the other you've stepped off a cliff. Yeah. I'm working in a job that I hate, but I feel stuck because the pay and the benefits are great. Yeah. And and again, I it's a, you're going to have to weigh that up. I know people want me to say, well, the answer is this, but it's personal. And I think you've got to think about you know, how look at the pay, what, what you know, and the benefits, you know, how much, what would you be prepared to lose? How else could you replicate some of those things on the other side of things? What's it costing you? I was and, just about to say that, that, like, what is it costing you is, 
it's such an important question because it's not just about more money equals better and I think people learn that so much the hard way and I think because of what I went through my husband is now super aware of that sweet spot between yes he could keep getting promoted and earn more and more money but at some point there's a it flips and it becomes like well I'm never going to see you. you're going to be working crazy hours you'll never see our son it will affect our relationship it will affect our family will you actually be getting that much enjoyment out of it so he's kind of at a, a point he's, he feels that he's coming to a point where he's going to be like it seems odd to not want to put myself forward for promotions but actually my values now are to maintain what I have I do enjoy the work that I'm doing but accepting the fact that that's changing your perception of what success looks like or changing the world's perception of it's not stress of what success looks like um, and that's okay and I often struggle with that as well where I feel like oh, I must seem like I'm not ambitious or my friends are working so hard and I work a couple of hours in the morning but I could work really hard but it's not a value of mine my value is to I've structured my I've really structured my life to be able to be with my son in the afternoons and and also just not work myself into the ground and I've I've worked towards that but that's what success actually looks like to me but to someone else it looks it could look like oh she's not reaching for the stars you know and it's it's just the outward thing isn't it yeah, absolutely. And I remember my book has case studies in it. And there was a brilliant guy, Dave, who I spoke to, a guy in his 30s. He worked in the travel industry and he wanted to become a software developer. But he he was miserable in the travel industry. He would started in it thinking it was going to be one thing. He was speaking French. He was traveling. He was loving it. it. Gradually, he became a manager. He wasn't speaking French anymore, which is what he loved. The whole job sort of morphed into something that he didn't love. And he had exactly that thing of, but it pays pretty well. And I've got a family and I've got a mortgage. Um, but his wife kept saying to him, do you know what? You're miserable. You come home every day. You're grumpy. It's affecting our relationship. You, you're working silly hours. You're clearly like just showing up as a, the worst version of yourself, she said. And they had an honest conversation and they had to they sat and they did the maths. He decided to retrain. He did when he first started as a software developer. He took quite he took a lower salary. They cut back on things, out went the gym membership, um, out went the Netflix subscription. They, they protected all the stuff for the kids, but they had a good year or so where, you know, it was tight and they probably had some wobbles. But in the end, Dave is now working as a software developer. Two years on, his salary is back where, in fact, I think higher than it was when he was working in the travel industry. But it was a serious conversation they had to have, which involved finances, which involved sort of mental health and, and what was enjoyable, which involved the family and, and how it was going to impact his partner. Um, so the, I know these these aren't small decisions, but I think the thing to do is to confront them and to come back to the word you've used several times to be honest about your values and what success looks like for you and, and where you feel you want to place importance. And there's no judgment. For some people, they'll come to the decision, no, I, I, I want that money. I like the perks. And that's fine. There's no judgment. Yeah. And also that your values change. You know, your, the, the values you begin with at the beginning of your career might not be the one that they're not for they, They've changed for me. And that's OK, too. And I think just, yeah, like if there's one thing you can do to get clarity on your values, it's going to steer you in the right direction. Um, here's an interesting one. I studied hard for a new career. I failed and repeated along the way. I'm now qualified and scared of starting the new career. Massive imposter syndrome due to how hard I found the training. Gosh, yeah, I really feel them. And imposter syndrome is definitely a big one. I think it's small steps, isn't it? I think it's hard to know without exactly knowing the situation, but it reminded me of, a, of another case. There's a lovely woman I spoke to called Catherine, who's in her 50s who'd spent some time out of work raising a family and who'd worked previously as a digital marketer. And she then went into web design. And she said, I had massive imposter syndrome because she said a lot of my training I'd taught myself. I was definitely kind of a beginner, which is an uncomfortable space to be in. We haven't been beginners since we were kind of 12 or 13. It's weird to start something where you think, oh, everyone else has been doing this for 10 years and I'm a bit new and I don't really know what I'm doing. So I think it's being kind to yourself. Catherine had a great piece of advice. She said, I kind of embraced the beginner's mindset. She said, yeah, I wasn't as experienced um, a web designer as some of my compatriots, but I brought something new because I had fresh eyes. I hadn't been doing it for 10 years. So I, I came with whole new ideas with a level of enthusiasm and energy and curiosity that perhaps some of those people didn't bring. So I think 
realizing that sometimes a beginner is a great place to be. You've got the space to grow and learn. So shifting, reframing a little bit. And I know that's hard. Also getting curious about particular things. So in the case of your person who sent that question, imposter syndrome is a kind of catch all, just like I feel a bit shit. I feel a bit like wobbly confidence. You know, where particularly are you worried? So they're saying, you know, I found the training hard. You know, are there particular areas where you still feel wobbly? You know, what could you do? What small steps could you take to to build your confidence in those areas? What could you try and do that would make you feel like, yeah, I'm getting better at that. It's always about growth and feeling like, just moving yourself on, isn't it? Sort of stepping into a little bit of a stretch zone, but not that's going to get you into panic so that you can feel I'm addressing those things rather than just sitting with the feeling that you're not good enough, thinking, what is it that triggers me here? What are the particular areas? And what do I want to do about that? It just seems this common thread of just being so afraid of it not working out. And I think my response to that would be, let's actually game out if it doesn't work out. You know, if if you go into the job and you're like, shit, I've made a mistake and I have kids at home, put in place the bumpers and the buffers that help you conf- look, stare down the barrel of those fears and be like, could I could I cope with this? I think we're so afraid to think about what if it doesn't work out, but actually, well, sometimes things don't work out. So you're right. So maybe engage with it in advance. I was listening to your brilliant episode around hot thinking with oh, the yeah, yeah. Hot brain. And, and saying you, you were saying about when you're stepping into a stressful situation, almost like take yourself into it in advance so that you're, you've, you've practiced it through. And it's that same thing, isn't it? Say, OK, if I give up this job in HR and I go and try and set up, you know, as a school tutor and that doesn't work out, you know, how can I now at this point, before I take the plunge, think about what plan B would be and, and start to activate it. How do I keep this door open? How do I um, keep relationships going? You know, or whatever it is. So so you're right, sort of gameplay it almost. Um, another common theme is definitely with, with women who become parents and the anxiety of having to kind of work hard, especially after coming back after maternity leave and wanting to put in the hours. But, you know, I mean, I have so many friends who with their babies in crash and you're getting you know it's the mother who gets the call saying like let's be honest about it like they're sick come come and get them and that that tug of war between wanting to prove your value your worth your but also you have this other situation where you know your children are dependent on you and it's never it's never the man that it impacts like it's not so this that's obviously like such a much bigger conversation but there is a layer of anxiety there for for mothers who feel stretched in their career, who feel like they either will stagnate or get left behind or will have to burn themselves out to prove themselves at the cost of their family. Yeah, gosh, I've been there, done that. Absolutely. The kind of mum guilt, the the motherhood load, that mental load, the, 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 the pulling, you know, where you think there's a part of you that thinks, oh, I get to leave the house and go to work. It feels like a holiday. You know, people have no idea if they've not had kids. But then the part of you that's like, oh, my gosh, I've left a toddler at nursery sobbing. Mummy, don't go. Um, so yeah, I think I think it's a, it's a hard space, but I think we're getting better at it. I think there's some really good co- campaigning work being done by um, Anna Whitehouse around kind of flexible working by the brilliant Jolie Brearley at Pregnant Then Screwed. So I think again, it's it's trying to think ahead. It's having honest conversations with your partner about what you're expecting. I think that one of the issues can stem from home actually is that. The woman, and this is a societal thing, thinks I have a problem. I've had a child and this is now, how do I solve this problem of my work and the child? And they sort of forget, like, I have a partner here. So how do we address this issue? How do we between us talk about who's going to pick up from nursery? You know, because it's often an assumption that the woman makes for for all sorts of reasons that, you know, this is her problem to solve. Well, how am I going to sort out childcare? Who's going to replace me? But actually, I always encourage people, let's have that discussion with your partner and say, what, what's changing for both of us? How do we both need to make changes and compromises in our work um, so that it becomes more of a team effort rather than the woman becoming, as we often do, kind of cross and resentful and frazzled because we're dealing with it all on our own. So involve your partner in that discussion. I think 
there's lots to be said around boundaries at work. And I know that's easier said than done, but trying hard to think about what would really work for me. You know, how, how can I arrange my working week, whether that's I do certain couple of longer days and then other days I can get away early. How do I make sure my out of office is clear? How do I is clear about what I can and can't do? How do I communicate that to colleagues or my manager in a way that is assertive and clear, but but not sort of apologetic or aggressive about I can't possibly do that. But, so, you know, so there's so many things. Somebody who's great on this because it's not my area of expertise is Jessica Chivers. She's called The Comeback Coach. She's got a brilliant podcast. So if you're in this space thinking, oh, gosh, I'm coming back from maternity leave or I really struggle with the the work-life balance of being a parent, then Jess's podcasts are brilliant. And she has lots of practical advice about how to talk to your manager, how to set things up at work, how to communicate your boundaries, how to talk to your partner. Some really good stuff there. There are so many more questions than we will possibly ever have time for. I need to keep you for 10 hours, but I want to just direct people to your book. So can you just give me a little insight into, I mean, there's lots of books about careers out there, lots of books about work. What makes your book different? Why? What will someone get from it? Yeah. So the book is called The Career Change Guide, and it's five steps to finding your dream job. And the idea is to take people from that initial moment of thinking, I think I want to do something else, but I don't really know what it looks like. It feels scary as hell. I'm not sure I can make it happen. So there are five stages that it works you through. So it talks about making time for a career change and getting the right mindset, because yes, it does take time and it takes commitment. A lot of people sort of dabble. They start with a lot of energy and they have a week Googling the hell out of everything. And then at the end of the week, they've sort of had it, you know, so it prepares you to to make sure you're making the time and the mindset and you've got the right people around you. And then importantly, it takes you through all of that reflection that we started talking about, those pieces of the puzzle, like what would great work look like for you? Crucially, it it works around those ideas because a lot of people get into a space where either they've got too many ideas, like, oh, I want to, one day they want to be an astronaut and the next they want to be a hairdresser and they're not sure which one, you know. Some people have no ideas. They think, well, I've only ever been a marketing executive. I've no idea what else I could do. So it helps with ideas and sorting them. And there's a big section on that action about how do I stop myself getting it wrong? How do I really check whether this idea has legs? And there's lots of practical advice. There's lots of stuff about repositioning yourself. Because, of course, as a career changer, the other thing you have is a massive identity crisis about but my CV and my LinkedIn profile show that I, you know, work in PR. And now I want to go and be a, a medical assistant of some kind in healthcare. How do I make that work? So there's lots of practical stuff around all that kind of thing. And then it's got those exact you, you heard me talk about some of the people I've spoken to. There's some really great stuff in there of case studies to see how other people have done it. And there isn't a one size fits all. But what I think I've done here is take people on a really clear journey with all of the tools you need to to make the best uh, approach for a career change that you can and to get from procrastination to actually doing it. And are you still working with people one on one? I am. Yes. So people can find me. My website is rachelscofield.co.uk. I'm on Instagram at Rework Your Life. Rachel, thank you so much. Um, I We've given me such a wonderful overview into the very practical building blocks towards getting there or getting out of something. And I think we've confronted the reality of the situation. It's not a it's not a Hollywood movie case of like dreaming up a becoming Ali McBeal and going for it. Um, and, it, you know, it does a lot of anxiety as part of it. And almost I think part of the what what I where I would come in is to just allow for the anxiety to be part of that journey it's always going to be there when things are unfamiliar when there's doubt and decisions to be made there's a lot of it's hard to make a decision humans don't like change our brains don't like it it's hard to confront it um but that doesn't mean that you can't progress or move forward or get where you want to go it, you know just your anxiety can come along for the ride with you you don't have to be you don't have to get to a point to be of being completely anxiety free before you can know something is right I, I say to people, there's with career change, there's a lot of muddle in the middle, and that's fine. That's normal. You're in you're in a liminal space, as we like to say. You're on this threshold, and it's uncomfortable because you haven't left the old thing, but you're not quite sure what the new thing is. And recognizing that everybody has that, and that you can lean into that a little bit, get curious about it, sit with it to whatever extent is comfortable, and 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 move through it. It's part of the process, so don't don't be scared of it.
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. The easiest way to access owning it real time is to head to the link in the episode description or episode details, whatever you call them, show notes. You will find the link in there at the top. You can sign up right away for owning it real time and access the full library of 10 situation specific audio guides that will help you own your anxiety even more than you've ever done before.